Welcome to What If. I'm your host, Karima Sagni, and today we're in Berlin meeting up with Charles Michel. Charles is a chef, food scientist, and artist. He's been doing research on food and community the past years. He's part of a Netflix show called The Final Table and is currently writing a book around food science and philosophy. Charles, thanks for your time. Thank you. Thank you so much for the invitation, Gary. Absolutely. Um, maybe you can say a few words about your journey of doing research on food and what it means for society in general. Yes. Um, I think that we've forgotten something very important about what it means to be human in the past couple of centuries. Um, you know, we've, we've, we've gone through incredible changes and growth and emergence of technologies that are making human life better. But when it comes to eating and when it comes to the most, maybe the most intimate relationship that we have with ourselves, with each other and with the planet, uh, we've forgotten things that are fundamental. And, uh, and I think that food plays that role of connecting us to our health, to our well-being, to our everyday uh, happiness and, and peace of mind, and um, to the quality of our of our communities and our and, and our families. And uh, now we're living in the climate crisis. We are going through. Uh, we will need to go through radical changes in how we operate on this planet, and uh, food will play a very important role. Absolutely. What was your first memory around food? If you can remember that. Yeah. Um, I think it is um, going to, with my grandmother in France, going to uh, grab the eggs under, under the chicken uh, to, so she could make a souffle uh, of fromage, a cheese souffle. Um, she used to be uh, an incredible cook and she definitely got me interested in, 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 in being of service to others. And, uh, and I would love just going and harvesting the tomatoes that my grandfather grew, the eggs uh, of the hens that my grandmother reared. And, um, and that, those memories in France were very connected to gastronomy, were very connected to family, uh, but also all my Colombian family um, okay. on the other side of the Atlantic was, um, there were cattle ranchers and like in, in huge expanses of land in, in the east of Colombia. And I have uh, incredible memories there, actually sacrificing veal uh, to feed the family and do like beautiful celebrations uh, coming together around uh, around eating uh, veal um, and so yeah there's, there's always this very community um, cooking fire uh, memories in wow. my childhood and a lot of emotions around food for you right yeah absolutely um, it sounds like a beautiful uh, childhood you grew up in both countries or yes I was born in France but grew up mostly in Bogota uh, and uh, after graduating from school, I, I came back to study in France. Um, and I think this, uh, let's say, having the culture of both such different cultures also, um, but so complementary as well, uh, was really formative. And um, seeing, for example, the privilege and, of life in France and seeing how things were going down, in particular in the 90s in Colombia, where it was very violent, um, huge inequalities that are still persisting, but but back then it was um, the drug cartels and um, you know uncles who would be kidnapped. Um, you know my mother who had to pay 
the guerrilla, the paramilitares, so they wouldn't get problems with the guerrilla. I mean, it's, it was really, really complex there and just seeing how peaceful it was in France and seeing that contrast. At the same time, seeing that in Colombia, there were things in the culture that people in France did not have, a certain joy of life, a certain lightness of being. Um, so yeah, lots of uh, kind of uh, complementary narratives in that exchange. Wow. Was there a time where food didn't play that important role for you when you grew up, like becoming a young adult, where you didn't thought even about what you eat or was it always, were you always very conscious about it? No, I think most of, most of my, my young early years, it was just there. Uh, I didn't really came to think of it as something that important. But as I got into food, let's say from the culinary, the technical aspect, um, when I was 18 and worked in Michelin star restaurants and did this very military training in, in French cooking in France, um, I got kind of more interested about it and, and passionate, but then it really changed when I actually got into um, the cross-modal research laboratory at Oxford University, where I got to see the gap in, in academic thinking when it comes to food and eating. Um, and that was when, when I really realized what we were missing um, from the standpoint of food education, from the standpoint of food policy even, um, and, and food culture in general, uh, that there was a lot more that had to be done, especially uh, with cri health crisis, when we know that food might be the best medicine and preventive medicine. Um, and in times of climate change, when food is such an important, or let's say the food system is such an important contributor to climate uh, degradation, ecosystem degradation and, uh, and, and, and carbon emissions. So I saw a huge gap there and that's where I really kind of started going deeper into, into thinking and that's been a, a predominant uh, curiosity for me to go into the, those topics. Wow. Where do you think food is currently in society? Like which role does it play? And also when you see young people eating or even adults, are you happy how people treat food? Food is a commodity. It's become fuel. Um, I want, I, this is not for everybody, of course, but, but I think that that's the, the unconscious eating um, is one of the major causes of uh, of illnesses and I'm not only talking about physical illness but also about mental illness and um, it is we are mistreating uh, animals out of in a way in in, in in a quantity that was completely you know we, we wouldn't have been able to imagine uh, 200 years ago that we would get to this point where there are more chicken than humans on the planet where uh, there's more than one beef per human on the planet and machines are killing these animals and sacrificing them and we're feeding them like machines. There's a very ethical problem there. So I think we are living right now um, at the beginning of the 20th century, probably the most unethical uh, relationship to nature we've ever experienced. And I think uh, in particular, the way we do uh, agriculture um, like industrial agriculture, animals and plants, we are really uh, unethical. And it is, it is a bit sad when you actually think about it, um, really what it means actually that we're treating 
fellow animals and, 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 our, and the planet from which we emerged in such a terrible way. Um, okay, understood. So what if food um, was the center of life again? Hmm. Yeah, uh, I think uh, if we managed to put food at the center, uh, we would have a much healthier relationship to ourselves on an individual level. Uh, we would have healthier, more empathic uh, communities and societies, and, and we would live in harmony with nature. Um, if we really developed our philosophy and uh, our knowledge about uh, what food means and the place it is, it takes in our lives. Food is the basis of life. It is, you know, it is the life that we consume from the planet in order to be conscious, in order to operate in a physical body. And, and that has um, very important implications when you think about it from a spiritual perspective and from a scientific perspective. Um, and so I just think that the evolution of humans is intimately tied to the evolution of our diets. And I see that as a joyful journey. Uh, it's, it's very easy to fall into, oh, I can't eat this. Uh, this is bad for the environment or I'm being unethical eating this beautiful steak. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and to actually do the contrary um, and, and perceive the contrary of what actually is there to provide, which is life, sustenance, pleasure. I think that by just becoming more conscious and more aware and balancing out a diversity in diet, we can really just be, be, live better lives without constraining ourselves, without uh, guilt and shame, and, um, um, and, and really kind of live better lives and, and in harmony. So that's kind of the dream, but it's very hard today to actually be fully ethical when it comes to eating, unless you live on a piece of land and you produce most of our, your food, of course. Um, and, uh, and I think that um, institutions, business, uh, and policymakers need to step up to, to provide solutions. And the solutions are there. Um, most of them are there. We don't need to invent new technologies. We don't need to innovate more. We actually need to remember how things were done in most cases uh, to, to, to find uh, better solutions for, to feed a growing population. What do you think would be the first step to, to get there, where we put food in the center of life again for the spirit, uh, spiritually? a way of uh, looking at food and building the communities also from the scientific point? Mm. Um, I think in most cases it's already too late for, for some people. Um, I think where I would start would be thinking about the impact that we can have in the next century. Okay. Not only in the next year, not only in the next day. I can also talk about those, but thinking about the impact that we can have in the next century, I would start by educating kids and creating um, powerful, insightful curriculums for kids at school. Um, and from the earliest age to awaken um, future humans' senses, um, humans that are not born yet, right? To really create, actually since the womb, since the moment, the moment a mother is pregnant, to curate and, uh, and, 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 and provide a, 
a rich diet that would allow this baby to grow to its full potential from a neurological perspective, physical perspective, um, and of course the mother as well and their kind of intimate relationship since, uh, since inception. And then, uh, of course, education then um, with food could really, let's say, create, I want to say design, although that word might be a bit more polemic, but to design the more conscious consumer, the more, the more conscious human of the future, the healthier human mm. of the future. And that is really what's at stake right now. Um, it's uh, the humans that will be walking the earth when all the humans that are right now here are going to be gone. Right. Right. We're talking about the in the future of human species, and uh, and I think that that's probably the most important thing that I would kind of envision. Okay. Understood. And um, what do you think is the obstacles that keep us away from doing that? Hmm. I think uh, actually food abundance. I see that as a big obstacle. The fact that we live in such plentiful um, uh, kind of uh, food landscape, especially of course in, in in big cities, especially in when you can afford it, really, um, and the, that abundance um, that is to those of us who have the privilege to put food on our plates every day um, keeps us asleep to how to the reality of food, to how hard it is to actually grow healthy food um, and what it actually takes to, to, to create a, a delicious plate of food. So having all this abundance, um, we kind of forget that maybe our grandfathers or our great-grandfathers were all farmers mm -hmm. and food was at the center of our lives. And, and you know, beautiful technology has allowed us to, to distance ourselves from, from from um, from being farmers, but and and create all other kinds of things. Mm. But um, I think uh, that abundance is really keeping us asleep in a way. Now, I see. So, so yeah. uh, I, I think that's a very interesting uh, point of view that you have. Uh, and sometimes when you don't have something or someone that you love, for example, there, uh, then you understand the value of that person of or of whatever it is that you have taken for granted. So if we go deeper into the what if scenario, could it be that if we say, what if um, tomorrow there was no food anymore in Berlin, for example, so you couldn't buy any food in the in supermarkets, there wouldn't be any food in restaurants. Um, what do you think would happen? Well, there will be a big uprise and everybody would be going to the countryside to forage, to hunt and to, try to see where the farms are so we could feed ourselves. Uh, it would become the top priority number one from everyone to, you know, from the president of the country to, um, to, to, to the last person in the street. Um, so I think the fact of living without hunger nowadays um, is kind of disconnecting us from how sacred, mm. how important food is. Right. Um, because without it, we are not. That's very true. You, you can't survive for too long, let's say it like that, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, so it would show the importance of food again when we don't have it, right? I mean, that could be a, a way to actually make it happen. If you would cooperate, for example, with, a, with some big supermarket chains and for one day there wouldn't be any food, then suddenly people might start thinking about, oh my God, uh, I need something, otherwise I have an issue or a problem. Yeah, absolutely. I do think though that there's that there's um, something that could be even like more easily 
applied and i think i'm not sure if you've experienced that but fasting right mm -hmm. it's actually um, a very ancient um, uh, practice uh, and many religions actually uh, propose fasting as a way to either honor um, something sacred or uh, in particular periods of the year uh, you would do fasting and i think that this fasting is actually really important because then it allows you to understand how important it is and then whatever is presented to you when you're hungry you pay very close attention and you are much more grateful when you break the fast uh, i think fasting is one of these personal uh, techniques uh, that we can that we can use to live a life that is filled with gratitude and when we are more grateful for the food we have we can't take it for granted we can't uh, be as unconscious as we are in most of cases nowadays in modern life right. about how important it is wow okay so fasting could be a very interesting way to get there right yeah yeah um, i'm currently doing intermatic fasting so i have to say the benefits are very high mm -hmm. um, first of all i started to appreciate food even more when you don't have for let's say 16 hours food right um, but i also have to say that i have seen maybe we don't need so much food at all, right? It's like we overeating a lot. And um, if you understand that and, and look back at um, how back in the days people actually eat food, it was not regularly, there was breakfast, there was noon, and there was like dinner. It was more implemented by certain countries of people. Um, so in that sense, how do you think, um, if people started fasting and would have appreciated more, what would happen with them? Yeah, that's a very, very good point. Um, I think lunch is a modern invention. Um, I mean, depending on cultures, it's either breakfast or lunch or dinner. That sure. is a modern invention. Uh, but the three meal a day was a narrative that has actually been supported by the food industry uh, in the early uh, 20th century. Um, things like bacon at breakfast were actually started by uh, marketing campaigns uh, put forward by wow. people who were raising uh, uh, pork. Um, I'm, I'm unsure if it's in, in the US or in the UK, one of, one of, one of those, there was this, uh, oh, doctors uh, say that eating bacon every morning is really healthy for you, we should all do it. And then it just stuck. And, and now bacon is on, you know, on the English breakfast and uh, on millions of of, um, of, uh, of American people in the breakfast. And we don't really need it. Um, so really questioning this. Um, and of course, we all have different biomes. We all have different, uh, it changes a lot, um, depending if you're a woman or a man, actually. Uh, and from an evolutionary perspective, uh, we came from hunter-gathering communities maybe 10,000 years ago, we were all hunter-gatherers still before the, uh, the, the, the emergence of agriculture. And uh, that meant that we, we had to face hunger um, on a daily basis eventually. And, uh, and that the greatest joy was actually just to, to, to know that food was secured for a few days. And that's where we would have maybe a big lunch and a celebration and dancing uh, to, to burn the extra calories and, uh, and then the emergence of, uh, of actually spiritual practice and ritual and religion came when we actually managed to have enough 
food mm. to feed everyone and celebration was abundant, um, which, you know, led to ritual, um, which is very interesting to think that uh, the abundance, the presence of food, the sec food security, let's say, is really the root cause of the emergence of civilization and religion. Right. Right. And you can see it in certain religions, right, where fasting is part of the religion mm -hmm. and where it probably helps to see how important it is mm -hmm. again, right? Absolutely. Uh, do you think in a very creative, absurd, what-if scenario, if fasting was mandatory by the by law, <laughs> do you think that could be an interesting experiment? That I think we would live in a much better world uh, if that was yeah. mandatory. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Um, you would be more grateful, you would be healthier, more likely. And then who knows what, you know, butterfly effect that could have mm -hmm. uh, on, on really shaping uh, how we operate uh, as a society. Wow. And what you said, like, if um, food as a subject in school was taught, right? And food much more as a tool for what it actually means for society, for your own development, right? Fasting could be also part of that mm -hmm. subject, right? Mm -hmm. um, I, yeah, I think that if, if we all um, learn about food from an early age, First of all, we would eat more delicious food every day, mm -hmm. and that's part of what a good life is, right? Um, who doesn't want to eat better every day and eat more delicious food? Who wouldn't love to have a private chef at home, right? But what if we were all private chefs, <laughs> our own, right. right? And knew the product and understood techniques and managed to produce something delicious in 20 minutes like a good chef does. Right? Because we understand the product where it is in its stage of maturity, we understand the season, we understand um, uh, heat uh, transfer in a very intuitive way, but that's one of the keys of cooking is really about heat and applying heat in, in particular ways to food. Um, if we all knew better, we would all live more joyful lives because there would be more pleasure and there is a key aspect. Recent research uh, is pointing to the fact that deliciousness is actually correlated with uh, nutritional value. Meaning that if you manage to extract a better flavor out of the same ingredient, it will actually be easier to digest. It would actually be more, uh, it would actually have more nutrients. Let's say all this um, kind of quest of the perfect dish by chefs and in restaurants, it's actually the perfect finding the perfect um, nutritional balance of a particular mix of ingredients. Uh, and if you think about that, um, pleasure, you know, in a way is a very important uh, mechanism of evolution, right? Because it, it shapes our desires. And if we have better desires, we might be able to survive and to reproduce in a much better way from a purely evolutionary standpoint. Uh, meaning that if we want to evolve, it has to be pleasurable, first oh, of all. Okay. Uh, and, uh, and second, um, if we have more pleasure, uh, especially when it comes to eating, we will evolve in a better way. And, wow. uh, and thinking about the next thousand years, you know, and, and uh, the, the big picture. Okay, yeah. just for my understanding, does it mean if I cook something and make it more tasteful, that it will has also a higher neutral value? So... Because it depends on like, what you put in, right? Yeah, of course. So it's, a, it's, a a complex, it's a complex question. Um, <laughs> and, and we would have to have more constraints to really be able to, to assert any truth on that aspect. True. But uh, my point here is, so on the importance of pleasure, 
and on the fact that it has that that uh, deliciousness uh, has been correlated with um, the diversity of nutrients that you have. Um, it's actually to give you kind of a, a little anecdote. Um, Nadia Santini, a chef, uh, a woman chef, uh, who's had uh, three Michelin stars for uh, two decades already in, in, in Italy and was probably my first mentor uh, in the kitchen, um, someone I appreciate and admire a lot. And she would, she would say that in order for sauces to be delicious, they needed to have all the five tastes. They needed to be sweet, salty, sour, um, bitter, and umami. And when you had all the tastes in a sauce, it would kind of caress your tongue and it would be a pleasure. And most of the, the best recipes, the best stews, and, and some of the most delicious things, actually, when you think about it and you look at the molecular composition, it actually taps into all the tastes. And it makes sense from an evolutionary perspective because each taste is, when it's um, stimulated in a pleasurable way, it gives a signal to the brain that that thing is good for you and it's something that you need for your um, for, for, for your, your uh, body to operate. Wow. So sweetness, right. energy, right? And that can be it's tricked, good. right, in negative ways, but you can also use it in the positive ways. Well, the, the problem is abundance, that we have too much of a good thing, right? Mm -hmm. Excess of fat, excess of sugar, excess of, um, of salt, which is really the root cause of many illnesses uh, uh, right now. Okay. So it's not so we have too much in a way uh, okay. right now, and, and which is sad to think that the planet right now is producing food to feed 20 billion, according to uh, the FAO. Mm -hmm. um, we're wasting a third of that, and a billion humans lives in excess, and a billion humans um, live in nutritional uh, uh, kind of poverty. So okay. So, so you cannot use it on a daily basis. That. That interesting fact then, right? It can. It's just about... So th this is where wisdom, this is where philosophy comes, this mm -hmm. is where education comes. It's like, it's all about balance, right? You can't eat a feast every day, but you can have extreme pleasure eating... But that's the definition of what party. is a feast, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. What is a feast? Um, this is why one of the, one of the points um, of the, the Guide to Conscious Eating that I recently published is be frugal. What do you mean by be frugal, right? It's... it's it's a complex um, philosophical kind of assertion. And so uh, Epicurean, Epic, um, so in Epicurean philosophy, you would uh, privilege the pleasures, right? We often think about Epicure being this kind of excess of pleasures and all that. No, it was about knowing when to uh, get the pleasures and about friendship and community. Um, and, and so it's really about, you know, focusing on quality over quantity. Wow. I have to say that I'm a passionate cook and I, I would always love to cook instead of eating from someone else, but I also uh, enjoy that a lot. Um, and I have to say, if I cook together um, with my girlfriend, um, we try to make every meal to a certain way a feast or a celebration. And if you look in the fridge and I see, okay, there's an eggplant, for example, and nothing else, I'm not like, okay, what else is missing? But rather asking, like, what can I do with that eggplant? And then a lot of amazing creative dishes can, can happen, right? When you have not enough, but see what you have and make the best out of it. Absolutely. And, and this is, you, you know this, that um, some of the best innovations actually come from scarcity and from situations of scarcity, whether it is in art or in, in science and technology. 
um, when we need, when we have lots of constraints, that's where really the best ideas come from. Mm -hmm. That's true. And, and now to come back to what you said with uh, food as a subject, where we can teach the next generation on what it actually means to have food, what is the importance of it to learn appreciate it again. Um, if you look at, at it now from a nutrition point of view, um, can you say a few things on the reasons you have done and how important food is and what you eat? Because there's a sentence that says, you are what you eat, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Bria Savarin said that uh, 200 years ago, tell me what you eat and I will tell you who you are. Um, so I think, so I'm not a nutrition expert, um, but there is, um, uh, there, there are a lot of, I think, misconceptions about what nutrition actually is, uh, especially nutrition science where you get, um, you know, you think that a carrot is, all carrots are made equal when they're not. Um, there would be an idea that if the soil is rich and for rich soil you need to have you know let's say a circular economy put in place uh, of nutrients uh, within a farm um, the nutrients of that carrot will depend on the nutrients and how healthy the soil is right so the health of our food depends on the health of, of the earth um, and by kind of Deduction here, our health depends on the health of our food. And so our health depends on the health of the planet. And the health of, so planetary health and climate are intimately linked to human health. So thinking about that, we need a systems change because the way that the food system works within a capitalistic economy is not viable. We are over-consuming natural resources. We are degrading ecosystems because of this idea of infinite growth and this um, principle that it's okay to commoditize any type of plant species or animal species and become their master and, you know, industrialize them at our will. Um, so when we talk about nutrition, I think we're also talking about ecology. Right, uh, so we can't. Those things go go too. They're, they're too intimately tied together, um, and and food is that link. Maybe the missing link right now with um, uh, the climate crisis and and and, and um, lots of social problems that are happening, um, and a, a mental illness epidemic. Um, I think. Um, I think food might be that missing link between us, our, our civilization, and, and, and the earth. Oh, wow. Um, that's also some very important and interesting uh, thoughts that you put out there. Um, and, I, and I think I have to look, if you look at like the biggest risk for humanity besides climate change, right? Um, I've read somewhere, and I mentioned also in the last uh, episode of What If, it's not actually obesity, it's isolation. So now we're coming to another part of food and the importance of it on, on community, right? Um, when we look back at our childhoods, for example, right? Um, it played a huge role. It brought the family together. And I experienced the same way. Like food was so important and the family comes together. We discuss everything. And, hmm. you, you, and to a certain extent, I have to say, I think I've uh, learned love through food. When my mom put a lot of uh, power and a lot of love into food it gives you like the warmth feeling right mm -hmm. um, 
Do you think we've lost that if you look at society, that community aspect of food where it brings people together? Mm, absolutely. We've lost that and we've also lost dialogue. Uh, we don't talk to each other um, enough. And in the past, we would live in, in, in maybe small villages and, or, or tribes, let's say, that we would have a common celebration and a common tradition, right? Maybe on Sundays or once a week. Um, where we would come together and and share, right, and, and, and empathy. When you're eating at the table and everybody's hungry, we're all equal. There's no, you, oh, you think like this, or you're from the right, you're from the left, you're uh, yellow or blue. Um, you know, it's, um, it, we're all equal when we're hungry. And we're all at our most vulnerable, real human level. And by missing... Um, a culture of sharing, a culture of uh, respecting food, where we're actually disconnecting also from these important dialogues that helps us solve some of the most important problems that we have in our communities and in the society at large. Um, so I would, I would say that by putting it, you know, in, in schools from the beginning, we would just know this. Uh, we would just know this by... by um, by nature, right? That it is in our human nature. And if you ask any community builder, any modern community builder, they would tell you that food is the the most important tool. It is the the primal community building technology is actually a dinner table. And what happens around it and how we place the dishes and the rituals, whether we're eating with hands or if we're eating a tasting menu in separate dishes, um, the conversation is going to be shaped. Uh, there's even um, behavioral research that shows that the shape of the table plays a role in the type of conversations and the type of decisions that you might end up uh, wow. making around the table. Uh, so it really is an art there and uh, as such an important part of our culture and our identity, um, both in the identities that we need to preserve and that come from generations back, uh, to the identity that we're shaping as a human species uh, in, this, in, these, in the coming decades, uh, I think it will happen around meals. And, and there's many reasons to celebrate because I think humanity has never done so well as we have now in terms of war, in terms of hunger, in terms of um, development. Like we are a successful species. But I guess through these beautiful dinners, we can, we can really solve some of the issues that we have. And, um, it, you know, I see a lot of hope in, in I have a lot of hope in, in humankind, um, but definitely the, what happens on the table will play a massive role. Wow. If you were able to create the perfect table, would it be round, square or something completely different? I think it would be, I want to say to honor my, my indigenous um, um, Colombian roots, I would say that it would be on the floor. Okay. So, no table uh, so round, all. right? The <laughs> okay, earth is right, round. Right. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Um, how does it shape the conversation if it's round or square? Just as a little aside. Yeah, so um, uh, apparently ten people tend to um, reach agreement in negotiation contexts uh, more, uh, more often when they're sitting around uh, uh, a circular table, which is, you know, it kind of confirms that King Arthur... Uh, putting his people around a round table was a way for him to actually make sure that we ag we got to an agreement. Um, wow. And uh, corners also, it's just uh, also about distance to each other. Um, you have kind of, you can see everyone when you're on a mm. round table. You cannot, 
if you're on a very big uh, rectangular table, there's some people that you don't mm. see as well as, as others. So there's a sense of equality. There's a, there's a very powerful um, kind of semantic and, um, and just kind of architectural even um, benefit to, to the circle, right? And wow. it's a powerful shape for that. That's very true. Um, and if we look like in the modern world, right, in companies and this fast-paced world we're living in, mm -hmm. I have to say my, my relationship to pace has changed over time. And I, and I think, as you can see, a lot of people burn out, but I feel like also they can also dry out. So you need a certain way of pace <laughs> um, and having that right balance is very important. Mm. Um, and you, you can see in the, in the burnout direction of people uh, in companies where they work like 80, 90 hours per week, where people just work while eating. So it's not like the conscious time that you spend for eating. How do you see that and what do you think does that to you and to your body? Hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I think this mindset, uh, which is very respectable of, of just working so much. Um, sometimes some of us are at a point of wisdom um, and kind of in our personal growth where we see work as life. We see, you know, goal oriented which is a very kind of masculine value in a way that, you know, we're going to go and we're going to do this and this is going to happen, whatever needs to happen. But I doubt that uh, the, like the, the, the levels of happiness are and, and, and peace of mind are high there um, in, 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 in being in this kind of goal-oriented um, aspect, especially if it's going to last for several months, let's say. It's one thing to just focus on one task and, and get something done and build like this kind of warrior uh, kind of mode where of, of getting these things done. But I don't think it's, it's, it's that healthy. Um, and we, it really depends on, on, on what philosophy and what's your belief system, right? On, on what is the, the higher aim of life. If you think that you're going to reach paradise after death, uh, well, maybe it's not so bad if you are suffering and having not such a good time in life. But if you think that maybe this is paradise and this is your life and you are, you know, burning it a second at a time. Mm. Uh, we are right now, right? Every second ticking is we're, we're one, one step closer to our death. So what is really important? Is it just being present and, 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 and being... Uh, peaceful and in the absence of pain, whether it is physical or emotional, or is it about getting this mind running into creating things and doing more? Um, I wonder if we're not shifting into a paradigm where what we need is less, not more. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, um, not sure who said this or, or where it comes from, but. Uh, mm -hmm. Uh, I feel that being rich nowadays is needing less, not not necessarily having more. Wow, I um, I recently saw a documentary about food halls, so not food courts, but food halls, and they're using like a lot of old malls that nobody uses anymore because everyone orders online, and uh, putting them into food halls. And I, I read that there will be I think 400 new food halls built next year in the U.S. alone. And a lot of those food halls are shaped for dialogue. Mm. 
Mm. They are built to bring community and strangers together where they can sit and start con uh, conversation. And I think that is a beautiful way of something that can be uh, reused, an old idea of a mall, into something where we bring people together. And, and that's something that I also want to shine on, on um, that there are some I initiatives that are actually going in a good direction. That's exciting, yeah. That's super that's, exciting. I, I hadn't heard about that. And, but so I've been working also in tourism um, in, in past years. Um, and gastronomy and food is really the reason, sometimes the reason why some people travel is to go and eat the food there. And it's the best embodiment of the values of a culture often come in the form of a meal, either the ritual of eating or in the recipes. And, and I find it really exciting that travel is going to be increasingly gastronomic. Um, and so it's the best way to know a culture, the best way to know someone else. And, and of course, these encounters. But here, it's, it, it's really interesting to think of this architectural um, design mm. uh, for human connection. Right. And not only for human connection to each other, mm -hmm. um, but also for human connection to a particular culture that right. you're traveling to yep. and to the earth and to the products that grow in that particular ecosystem and landscape around the place mm. where, you're, where you're going. Now, if it's an international restaurant, like this mall is filled with international restaurants flying in or, you know, foods from all over the world, exactly maybe it's that. not that sustainable. Mm -hmm. and, and, and what you want is actually to lift up the narrative of the land, the narrative mm -hmm. of the ancestors of that land, wherever you are. Right. And there will be beauty there. Uh, and you want to lift up the narrative of the ecosystems and protecting the local ecosystems. And, and food can have a regenerative power. Food mm -hmm. systems can have a regenerative power, which means that if we really care and we really love salmon, right? Mm -hmm. And we con consciously consume salmon. Uh, the um, companies that are running these these businesses to to, to grow uh, farmed salmon will actually feed their salmon better. Will make sure that the fjords or the the, the rivers where this um, fish is 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 grown are going to be clean, right? And we're going to respect the wild population. And we can vote every day by consuming the healthy salmon, the ethical salmon, we can, we can vote with our money uh, to uh, regenerate the ecosystem of a particular land. And, and, and I think that's ultimately the most powerful political stance that we can have. Food is political. Um, and as I said, every single day, you can vote for a particular organization of the food system. You get to vote only once every four or five years, or maybe every two years if you think like, um, uh, like municipal councils, etc., elections, uh, local elections, and and that is the, the your voice matters a lot in that politics, um, aspect in politics and government, but there is a much more deep and uh, and powerful vote that you do every day that we do every day. Um, right, we were having some tea. Where did it come from? Uh, right, where, who were the people growing this tea? Were they uh, happy? Were they fairly treated? Were they fairly paid? I think both of us don't know the answer for this particular tea we just had. Right. But maybe for the one that we can purchase next time we go to a supermarket, uh, we can see the labels and hopefully there will be strong policies that will uh, allow us to see 
uh, to have transparency and traceability to everything we eat. Uh, and that is the type of systems change that we need, right? Better uh, systems of control than the organic, for instance, or the fair trade, sure. which is often not enough because you can have organic avocados that are actually violating the people's uh, water rights in Chile, right? They might be organic and you might think, you know, oh, I'm vegan and I'm eating these avocados and I'm being a good human. But uh, the way agriculture is done in Chile in particular, um, they're actually, you know, draining all the water from, from the rivers to put, um, to, 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 to grow tons of avocados for, for export. And the people that lived around this river have no more water for their own needs and for the, to grow their own food. Mm. Um, so it is a very deep, um, very kind of uh, powerful implication that has that every euro that we spend on, on, on food has. Yeah. Right. Understood. But would you think about system changes also by teaching about food in schools as a starting point? for the long run, but the ones who are more aware of it, then they can actually change something. Yeah, for sure. I think um, so the, as a starting point for a long term change, it's definitely schools, but that might take us a decade to put in place or two, who knows. Um, but when we get there, we'll look back and we'll say, why didn't we do this before? Um, uh, but I think that the really the starting point, the ultimate starting point is what you and I and everyone listening to this podcast is actually going to consume on the next meal. What is the next thing that you're going to put in your mouth? Mm. And, and that is the that is the starting point. Okay. And you also said um, something that I like very much um, before our discussion, which was try your best. Mm, absolutely. Right. Because you cannot be 100% conscious like the whole time, right? Mm -hmm. And just trying your best to to still feel a certain balance. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the modern um, conditions that we're that we're living is anxiety right whether this is uh, for work or for financials or for the climate or for social and we tend to demand a lot from ourselves especially the more we learn the more we know the more we have reasons to feel bad about things and about every decision we make because it is pretty wicked and, and weird the the point we've to which we've gotten uh, as a as a species and modern civilization, uh, but we can choose the least worst option in some cases, and in some cases we can choose the best option, like the ideal option. Some cases we have that, and we will get a reward in our brains. Right? We need to mm -hmm. tap into the reward mechanisms, into the pleasure mechanisms um, that have taken us all the way two million years to evolve. To the point where we are today, we need to tap into the same mechanisms in order to evolve the next step. Right, and uh, I think this kind of um, and that's for yeah. all social classes, right? You try your best. Yeah, try your best. You can do, mm -hmm. depending on your situation. Mm -hmm. um, that makes so much sense, and it was so for a beautiful discussion. Um, I want to end it up with our last question that we always ask um, for anyone who wants to put food more into the center of their life like 10 percent more and someone who wants to do it 10 times more what do you think they have to do um i think we have to question everything we eat where does it come from how can i know more behind this um 
how can I be, how can I vote for, for the people who are doing good work, creating better practices? And, and I think this idea of questioning everything, which is also one of the points of the Guide to Conscious Eating. Um, and, 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 and to, I think we live in a, in a war of words right now in this, in this century and a war of truth versus um, lies. And uh, I think that going to the truth will always be, um, I think, uh, a North Star. And so understanding the truth behind anything and, and questioning, just not, not eating unconsciously, just, in, and even if it's small questions. Mm-hmm. Um, so that can be the 10% more. Yeah, exactly. And exactly. the 10 times more? 10 times more? Um, <laughs> well, re- eat more plants. Yeah, I think that's that's a, a, a very simple insight. The more plants we eat, uh, the more we need to be creative when it comes to cooking, right? So we will immediately become more um, more 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 um, knowledgeable about cooking. Uh, but it also will bring a bunch of benefits, and uh, it's easy to cook a nice steak. You just need to put it in a pan. But to cook a nice carrot, it requires a finesse. Right, uh, that that maybe a, a a a lump of meat doesn't require you to have any finesse to to make it nice. So, um, that's I think a, a very important insight, and also just in terms of a carbon footprint, uh, I think having a plant-based diet is is uh, an ethical obligation. Uh, and I'm not saying you should go vegan, um, because that is a bit restrictive. But definitely, um, uh, yeah, eat more plants. Understood. And anyone who is listening um, and want to support your beautiful mission, how can they support you? So um, I, since the Netflix show launched, um, I've gotten more and more active on on social media, um, Charles X Michel on Instagram. And I also have a platform uh, in which I create this curriculum of food education where I post uh, several times uh, every month um, and it's on Patreon and people can support my work there and also get to access exclusive content and, and where I'm at with my travels and thinking and writing the book, etc. Fantastic. Thank you so much for the beautiful discussion. Thank you so much for the invitation. Really Absolutely. Pleasure. Then I hope to share a meal soon with you. Yes. And keep the conversation going. Well, maybe we go for lunch now. Yeah, absolutely. Thank <laughs> you so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>